Welcome, Weirdos. I'm your host, Jessica Fernando, and this is One Weird Chick. On the morning of September 16th, 2021, the true crime-obsessed world was rocked when the news broke that an arrest had been made in a case almost a decade old. I, like so many others who have followed the case, were startled to learn that the person arrested was not the suspect we had all thought it to be. A member of the Halawa Saponi Native American tribe, Faith Hedgepeth was born in 1992 in Warren County, North Carolina. In 2010, at 17 years old, Faith's dreams of becoming a pediatrician were underway when she was awarded a scholarship to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Of her entire family, Faith would be the first to graduate college. While she attended school, Faith lived in an off-campus apartment at the Hawthorne and View Complex between Chapel Hill and Durham with her friend Karina Rosario and Karina's boyfriend, Eric Tokoy Jones. Faith slept on the couch in the one-bedroom apartment, a temporary arrangement while she was waiting for financial aid to come through before finding her own place. The relationship between Karina and Eric was tumultuous. Eric was arrested a number of times for domestic violence against Karina. More than once, Karina was seen with injuries as a result of her relationship with Eric. Eventually, the couple broke up and Eric was evicted from the apartment. Eric, however, remained at the same apartment complex after the breakup, living just a few buildings over from Faith and Karina. On July 5th, 2012, Eric broke into Faith and Karina's apartment and threatened his ex-girlfriend, pushing her to the ground. The police were called and removed Eric from the premises. Just five days later, he broke in again. Faith encouraged Karina to obtain a restraining order, which would prohibit Eric from coming near her. Faith even drove her friend to the courthouse to have the protective order put in place. Later, during a heated phone conversation, Eric reportedly threatened to kill Faith because of her involvement in helping Karina. With Eric seemingly out of their lives, life went on for Faith and Karina. The morning of September 6, 2012, was just like any other day for Faith. She attended classes during the day before attending a rush event for the campus chapter of Alpha Pi Omega, a historically Native American sorority she hoped to join. At 7.15 p.m., she left the event to finish working on a paper she was writing about the history of her tribe. Faith and Karina went to the university's Davis Library to study together at approximately 8pm. Between 8.30 and 9pm, 
she exchanged texts with her father about her hopes to join the Alpha Pi Omega sorority. Around 11.30pm, the girls returned to their apartment and prepared for a night of dancing at the downtown Chapel Hill nightclub, The Thrill. Faith and Karina arrived at the club at 12.40am. The club was a hotspot for the local college students, so as a result, sources differ on who the girls hung out with while at the club. Some state that the girls met up with two men who lived in the same apartment complex, while other sources state that they met up with club promoter Brandon Edwards. It was rumored that Karina and Brandon were dating at the time, so I believe that this is more likely of the two theories. A short time before 2am, Karina began to complain of an upset stomach, so Faith drove the two of them back to the apartment in her Nissan Ultima. Security cameras at the Thrill caught Faith and Karina leaving the nightclub at 2.06am. At approximately 3am, Faith and Karina arrived at the apartment. Around this time, police records later showed that someone accessed Faith's Facebook page. At 3.40am, a text was sent from Faith's phone to Brandon Edwards. Quote, Hey B, can you come over here please? Karina needs you more. Aha. You know. Please let her know you care. End quote. Three minutes later, another text was sent from Faith's phone to Edwards with the word then. It is believed that this was a correction to the previous text, the result being that the text should have read, quote, Hey B, can you please come over here? Karina needs you more than you know. Please let her know you care. End quote. Brandon responded almost an hour later with the words, quote, Who is this? End quote. This possibly indicates that Brandon didn't have Faith's number saved in his phone. Karina's phone records also show that she was trying to contact Edwards herself around the same time. When she wasn't able to reach him, Karina called Jordan McCrary a UNCCH soccer player she knew well. According to a statement that Karina would later give to police, Jordan and his friend Jacob Beatley arrived to pick her up at 4.25am. When police later verified this information, they found that both Jordan and Jacob's cell phones had pinged outside of the apartment at the stated time. Later in the morning, at approximately 10.30am, Karina tried to arrange a ride home. When her calls to Faith went unanswered, Karina instead called another friend, Marisol Rengal, who came to pick her up. When the pair pulled into the apartment complex shortly before 11am, they noticed Faith's car was still in the parking lot despite her classes having already started for the day. They called for Faith as they entered the apartment, and when their calls went unacknowledged, Karina went to check in the bedroom, thinking that Faith may have overslept. 
There, she found Faith's lifeless body. Faith lay unconscious on her back, her legs half hanging off of the bed. She was naked from the waist down, with her black t-shirt pulled up over her face. She lay in a pool of her own blood. The splatter on the comforter, linens, and bedroom told the story of a woman who fought for her life. Karina placed the following call to 911. 11.01 a.m. 44 seconds, September 7, 2012. Dara nine one one, where is your emergency? I um I just like to see my apartment and my friend just like to be unconscious. Okay, what's your address, ma'am? I live at Hawkins at the view. Um, give me give me the address. I just I just moved here, I'm about to get it. Oh my god. It's um I Six three nine Old Chapel Hill Road in Durham. Okay, repeat it to me. It. So, repeat it to me so I make sure I've got it correct. Okay, five six three nine Old Chapel Hill Road. It's a okay. What's sixteen oh two? Sixteen oh two. Yes. Okay. What's the phone number you're calling from? Two zero one three two one. Eight zero seven five. Okay, you say your friend is unconscious? He's unconscious. I just walked in the apartment and there looks like there's blood Okay, listen to me. Okay, listen to me. Listen to me. Somebody's already sending me ambulance. Okay? I need to get some information from you and I'm gonna I'm gonna help I'm gonna tell you how to help her, okay? Okay. Okay, how how old is your how old is she? She's nineteen. Okay. I don't know. I don't okay. want to touch her, but... Listen to me. Is is she breathing? I don't know. You need to check and see. Is she breathing? Kate, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, listen to me. There's blood everywhere. There's what? There's blood everywhere. Okay. I don't know what happened. Okay, is she on her back or is she on her, laying on her stomach? She's on her back, but, like, I think she fell off the bed because she's, like, off the bed. There's blood all over the pillows, like, in the comforter. I just don't know what happened. Okay. All right, listen to me, all right? Is someone coming? Yes, I've got somebody coming. I've got somebody coming. I need for you to help her. I need for you to go up to her. We need to see if she's breathing or not. Okay? I think so. Okay. Listen to me. Go up. The paramedics are on their way. I want you to stay on the line. I'm going to tell you what to do next, all right? Are you right by her now? Yes. Okay. Listen carefully. Listen. She's not moving. Okay. No. Can, will you touch her arm? Tell me, does she, how does she feel? She's not moving. Okay, ma'am, we need to find out if we can help her or not. You've got to 
just, you know, do as I'm asking so we can help her. All right? Okay. Okay. If you can, lay her flat on her back. Remove any pillows. Lay her flat on her back? Flat on her back. Remove any pillows. Okay. Okay. Kneel next to her. Look in her mouth for food or vomit. Okay. Kneel next to her. Look in her mouth for food or vomit. Tell me something. Listen to me. Listen to. What is your name? I'm sorry. I'm really. It's okay, honey. It's okay, honey. Listen to me. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Listen to me. When you touch her, how does she feel? Does she feel warm? No, she feels cold. She feels cold? Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Don't touch anything else, okay? Don't touch oh anything God. else. Okay. They're on their way. I've got police on the way to you, and I've got, a, got medics on the way. Okay? I can't believe this. While we can never assume how someone will react to the shock of discovering a crime scene, there are some things to note within this 911 call. According to Paul Holes, a retired cold case investigator and co-host of the podcast Murder Squad, quote, I do not hear genuine types of sobbing or crying or panic. I'm almost hearing a put-on voice in how she's approaching telling the dispatcher the information, end quote. The website, True Crime Daily, adds their thoughts to the mix. Quote, Remember that Marisol brought Karina back to the apartment. There is not a single mention on behalf of Karina that Marisol was with her. You can't hear her in the background. She makes no mention of the other friend that was with them. End quote. News and Observer reporter Tom Gasparoli states, quote, To me, the whole call reeks of unusual, end quote. Gasparoli raises the possibility that Karina's friend, Marisol, whose voice sounds to him more like the constantly sobbing caller, was the real caller. Only later, identifying herself as Karina after repeated requests from the dispatcher for her name. In addition, it is also alleged that Marisol had told Faith's family that they arrived at the apartment at 10 a.m. The website True Crime Daily continues, quote, However, that 911 call was not placed until 11 a.m. So, what happened during that hour? And thirdly, there was a neighbor that actually saw Marisol and Karina coming downstairs after the 911 call was made and that Karina was not crying, but she was texting, end quote. Paul Holes also states that it is important to acknowledge, quote, it is so subjective because you can have somebody who is completely innocent walk in on the most horrific scene and then have a 911 call that is so sterile you think, this person is a psychopath because they are not experiencing any emotion. End quote. When police arrived at the scene, they discovered an empty, bloodied bottle of Bacardi peach rum near Faith's body. 
they also found a bloody tampon and a note next to Faith's body that read, quote, I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous? End quote. Although never confirmed if Faith was sexually assaulted, semen was discovered at the crime scene and matched a male DNA found on the pen that was used to write the note. Chapel Hill was a town known for its football accolades. A crime of this nature was the first for the Chapel Hill Police Department. Details of Faith's death were sealed as they were reported, a deviation from usual police practice. Even Faith's family was kept in the dark about their daughter's case as it was investigated. Many have theorized as to why the police decided to take this course of action, but no reason has ever been confirmed. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, developed a profile that they believed fit the profile of the alleged killer. They said it was likely that the killer, quote, had lived near Faith in the past, had expressed an interest in her, and his behavior may have changed since the crime, including showing an unusual interest in the case, end quote. Learning of his history of domestic violence with Karina and his threat against Faith, almost immediately, Karina Rosario's ex-boyfriend Eric Tokoy Jones became the prime suspect. Police discovered that the night before Faith's murder, at approximately 6pm, Eric had texted an acquaintance asking for forgiveness, quote, for what I'm about to do, end quote. He then later posted the same message to his Twitter feed. Three days later, he changed the banner on his Facebook page to read, quote, Dear Lord, forgive me for all of my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead. End quote. According to the podcast Crime Junkie, Eric exhibited strange behavior after Faith's murder that caught police's attention. Eric went over to the apartment and spoke on camera with the media while the police processed the crime scene, stating, quote, I have no idea who would do this, end quote. Eric was asked to go to the police station for questioning, which he did willingly, but oddly returned to the crime scene later that day. This was confirmed by officers at the scene who told him he had to leave because of the restraining order Karina had against him. Eric cooperated with police, even handing over a DNA sample. His DNA sample, however, did not match the sample from the apartment, and they quickly excluded him as a suspect. DNA from Brandon Edwards and other men whom police later discovered had also been at the thrill the same night as Karina and Faith were also tested with the same negative result. Seemingly back to square one, police focused on the note left at the crime scene. The words, 
I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous, end quote, were written in a ballpoint pen on what was determined to be the torn-off bottom of a white paper bag of the type commonly used for carry-out food. Police believed the bag may have come from Time Out, a popular 24-hour restaurant in Chapel Hill that would have been the only place open at the time Faith and Karina left the thrill. Peggy Walla, a forensic document handwriting examiner, was asked by Crime Watch Daily to analyze the note. She detailed in her report that it was free of blood, even though it was reportedly found in a room full of blood splatter. Walla also stated that the writer may have used their non-dominant hand in an attempt to disguise their handwriting. Retired cold case investigator Paul Holes speculates that the note was quote-unquote staged in an attempt to confuse investigators. Tom Gasparoli has spent the years since Faith's passing undertaking his own research on the note. Gasparoli questioned what purpose would be served by leaving the note at the crime scene. As a message to Faith, it made no sense to leave it next to her body if she was dead. If it was written by the killer or killers, it could have been particularly incriminating evidence and they had to be aware of this possibility. It looked to him, in fact, quote, almost as if it were a red herring left for some other reason than to reflect the real feelings of the killer or killers. Left to confuse. End quote. As the days turned into weeks, the weeks to months, and the months to years, Chapel Hill police were unable to link the note or crime to any person or persons of interest. The ABC News program 2020 released an image generated by Parabon Nanolabs, a genetic testing company in Reston, Virginia, of what the suspect who left the semen at the crime scene might look like based purely on his phenotype in his DNA profile. According to Parabon's findings, the suspect is, quote, very strongly Native American and European mixed ancestry, or Latino, end quote. Most of his genetic markers pointed to Mexican or Colombian, with some other South American and African countries making up for the balance. Parabon believed with over 80% confidence that the suspect would have a skin tone in the olive range, with very few freckles, or none at all, and black hair. Faith's case continued to remain sealed by court order, despite the many attempts by her family and the media to have the documents unsealed. Finally, the court released the records in July 2014, two years after Faith had been murdered. Media organizations and internet sleuths went into overdrive, pulling apart the case and sorting through it all with a fine-tooth comb. 
Amongst the documents that were released to the public was an inaudible voicemail message that Una Chavez, a friend of Faith's, had submitted into evidence with Chapel Hill Police. Una had received a call from Faith in the early hours of the morning on the day that she had died. Asleep at the time, Una awoke to the following voicemail. The three-minute-long voicemail was seemingly a pocket dial, so Una deleted it. Learning later in the day of Faith's murder, Una called her cell phone provider and asked them to restore the voicemail message. She then submitted the recording to Chapel Hill Police. There it sat for nearly three years. Police never had it analyzed or investigated the muffled audio further. Now released to the public, Crime Watch Daily hired Arlo West, a specialist in audio enhancing. Once he cleaned up the audio, West claimed he had discovered Faith's final moments. In the background, West alleges that Faith can be heard screaming for help, along with voices of at least two males and one other female. Faith, help me. Female, don't be a pussy, put up a fight. Faith, ow. Male, I think she's dying. Male too. Do it anyhow. Faith, please. Inaudible. My hands are on fire. Help. The voicemail was timestamped at 1.23am. If this timestamp is correct, it would have put Faith and Karina at the nightclub The Thrill. Yuna, the friend who received the muffled voicemail from Faith, maintains that the timestamp is incorrect and that the call came in around the time that Faith is thought to have been murdered. Don't forget, she deleted the voicemail and then had her cell phone provider retrieve it. Could the timestamp have been affected when the voicemail was restored? True Crime Daily informed the Chapel Hill Police of West's findings, and they agreed to consider the enhanced version. However, due to the timestamp of the message, they refused to believe it's Faith's final moments. They also claimed that they could hear background music and suggested it was recorded while the girls were at the thrill. West, for his part, cites a known software issue with phones like Faith's that resulted in inaccurate timestamps. He discounts the background sound as being music since his analysis did not produce any sounds like percussion, a heavy bass, or synthesizers. Further, West adds, there are none of the background sounds like glasses, clinking, and others talking that one would associate with a nightclub. As of 2020, Faith's case remained unsolved. Chapel Hill Police had not named any additional suspects or even persons of interest. In the years since her brutal slaying, 
Chapel Hill Police have interviewed 2,000 people and performed over 750 DNA tests to no avail. That is, until last month. On September 16, 2021, the Chapel Hill Police Department arrested 28-year-old Miguel Suiguero Oliveres of Durham with a first-degree murder charge in Faith's death. He had not been a suspect originally, but was identified through DNA samples after he had been arrested on a drunk driving charge in Wake County the preceding month. Chapel Hill Police Chief Chris Blue said the following at the news conference, quote, Patience will be asked of you. This story will take time to completely unfold. End quote. Like so many others in the true crime community, I was shocked by the news of the arrest. The internet exploded with questions and theories when the arrest was announced. For almost a decade, I, like so many others, questioned Karina Rosario's involvement as her bizarre 911 call kept bothering me. Despite the arrest, I think there is more she can tell us that she should have told us on the day that Faith passed away. I guess for now, we have to be patient as only time will tell. Thank you for joining me for another episode of One Weird Chick. I'm your host, Jessica Fernando, and until next time, stay spooky. Today's episode of One Weird Chick was edited by Bethany Dickens-Asaf. One Weird Chick's opening theme is created by Brielle Johnson, and logo is by Lauren Adams. Follow One Weird Chick on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for more.